Hi, everyone. Welcome to the September 14th Autism Science Foundation Weekly Science Podcast. I'm Alicia Halliday, Chief Science Officer. Today, I want to talk about what a positive outcome is for someone with ASD in adulthood, because is it different across the spectrum, or is it the same for all people with ASD? Some people will claim that all people with autism want the same thing. In fact, they do not. What makes some people happy, of course, not just those with ASD, but those without ASD as well, is different for each person. How do you define a positive outcome? Well, the World Health Organization actually has guidelines to help with this. And it actually defines these things broadly, like living a full and decent life with dignity, self-reliance, and active participation in the community. Some autistic self-advocates have stressed that things like autonomy, community inclusion, and employment that fit the need of the individual are important. Mothers of adults with severe intellectual disability stress recreational activities and social contacts as important consideration for quality of life and positive outcome. So already it's not the same for each person. So how is it different in each person? And are there any things that can predict what makes a good outcome for someone based on certain factors or traits in each person with ASD? Maybe not as an absolute rule, but maybe as a guide. And that's what the study I'm going to talk about did. So the new data comes out of a longitudinal study started many years ago by Kathy Lord at UCLA, who then was at University of North Carolina and then University of Michigan, where families were recruited. I'm not sure they were recruited with the intention of following these babies and toddlers into adulthood, but that's what they did. And science has learned a lot by doing so. If you've listened to this podcast in the past, you know how I feel about this sort of research. It's not necessarily glamorous and exciting while you're in the midst of it. However, these longitudinal assessments of families over time provide important answers to families about what they can expect in their future, if they can actually expect or predict anything, and what the future just generally looks like for people across the spectrum. In order to find out what a positive outcome really was for people with ASD, they started with three broad domains based on the WHO guidelines and actually reflect some of the things that self-advocates and parents were saying. The first was autonomy, reflecting an individual's propensity to be as self-reliant as possible. The second was social relationships, reflecting an individual's relationships and time spent with others. And purpose, reflecting an individual's activities, motivation, and engagement with the community to live a full life. They then took into account their cognitive ability and directly measured happiness from self or parent reports. In other words, they directly asked them or their caregivers, what made you happy? They also, of course, measured mood, anxiety, and other behaviors. So what were those outcomes? Based on the WHO recommendations and the statements of advocacy organizations that represent people on the spectrum for more cognitively able individuals, they define three outcomes, and these are for cognitively able individuals. One is having regular employment or undertaking age-appropriate education. Two, having at least one friend, and three, living independently. Now, for less cognitively abled individuals, based on input not just from the WHO recommendations, but input from parents and caregivers, they define three outcomes. One, having either supported, non-supported, or voluntary work activities outside the home. Two, having any social contact outside the family members. That includes friends, peers, or acquaintances. And three, having an average age 
equivalent score above eight years on the personal and domestic subscales for the Vineland. So this is the adaptive behavior scale. And these sorts of behaviors include toileting, dressing oneself, basic hygiene, and the ability to complete some household chores. Okay, so what were the results? For the 57 individuals who were cognitively able, 33 individuals met all three outcomes. So 33% were having positive outcomes. 21 met two out of the three, and 25 met one out of the three. That leaves 21% who met none of the positive three outcomes. Now, for those with a cognitive disability, only 17% were identified as meeting all three of the criteria. 26 met two out of the three, 29% met one of the three, and 27 did not meet any of the three. So if you were to do a quick comparison, 33% of cognitively able individuals met all three outcomes, but only 17% of those with a cognitive disability met all three positive outcomes. In both groups, there were some people who had not received an ASD diagnosis. Instead, they were diagnosed with a developmental delay, and I'll mention them later. So what predicted a good outcome? Different things for different groups. For those that were cognitively able, verbal IQ, higher happiness, and daily living scores definitely helped. Gender was not important, and neither was actually being diagnosed with an ASD. What made things worse or reduced the probability of having positive outcomes were internalizing or externalizing symptoms. Internalizing symptoms are things like anxiety and depression, and externalizing symptoms are things like aggression, conduct problems, delinquent behavior, oppositionality, hyperactivity. Now, in those who are cognitively able, being racially diverse and having a caregiver with only a high school education worsened the chance of a positive outcome. I want to note this was not the case in cognitively disabled individuals. Now on to those who were actually cognitively disabled. Being female and having a high verbal IQ were important, but less important were those internalizing and externalizing symptoms and happiness. The verbal IQ thing may sound confusing because yes, verbal IQ was used to differentiate the two groups, but within the two groups, there's still a continuum. Maybe the mean in the cognitively abled group was 100 with the spread of say 120 to 80. So there was a spread within that group. The cognitively disabled group had a mean of 70 with a spread of say 79 to 60. Within those numbers, the higher the better. However, in the cognitively disabled group, having an ASD diagnosis reduced the chance of having a positive outcome. And race, as I mentioned, didn't make much of an impact. Simply put, what's going to make a difference in the lives of people that are cognitively able are not as impactful as those with a cognitive disability and vice versa. These findings are science, not a judgment on what's important to people individually, but we have to stop treating autism like it's just one thing. It's not. In addition to things that make people similar, there are things that are critical for positive outcomes in adulthood that make people different. We need to acknowledge that and move from there. Besides behavioral and psychological outcomes, what differences are there between adults with ASD with cognitive disability and those that are cognitively able? Is there anything that can be pinpointed medically? Well, using a Medicare database, autistic older adults with intellectual disability were significantly more likely to have things like thyroid disorders, epilepsy, respiratory infections, gastrointestinal conditions, osteoporosis, cognitive disorders, of course, and schizophrenia and psychotic disorders. However, 
In contrast, autistic adults without an intellectual disability, those that were cognitively able, were more likely to have obesity, diabetes, high blood pressure, cerebrovascular disease, and chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, or COPD, arthritis, back conditions, ADHD, substance use disorder, and suicidal ideation or self-injury. This calls for tailored approaches to healthcare. So in the past, you've heard about studies like this. They've been done comparing those, of course, with ASD to those without ASD, but they usually lump everybody with autism together. Or they use self-report using an online survey, which means that those who are only cognitively able can fill it out. Using medical record diagnoses are much more accurate. So what can predict later cognitive ability? Is there some early marker of cognitive ability in infants that can be intervened on? A biomarker, perhaps? Well, as it turns out, researchers in the UK using an infant sibling's design had their brainwaves examined. They found that a particular brainwave in the cortex called theta waves were predictive of later cognitive ability up to seven years of age in kids with ASD. So what the fresh hell is a theta wave and why am I mentioning it? Theta waves in the hippocampus are thought to underlying learning and memory. Theta waves are slow, about three to seven hertz, but in brain areas like the hippocampus, the peak of the waves are thought to be involved in changes in the shape and connection of brain cells that are assumed to underlie memory and learning activity. In babies, they're seen in the anticipatory phase of peekaboo, suggesting learning, and novel toy exploration and social interactions. So this specific brainwave pattern may actually, and I'm stealing from the authors here, quote, frontal theta may reflect integrative neural processes across attentional, perceptual, and memory domains, which, when interrupted or compromised, may lead to suboptimal basic cognitive abilities, and subsequently poor learning and cognitive outcomes later in development, unquote. Change in the power of theta rhythms across time rather than any number specifically seemed to be more important, and it correlated with most visual receptive skills. And when tested across time, infant theta rhythm power or size of the waves within the same frequency was related to later three to seven-year-old nonverbal and verbal cognitive skills and explained a large number of the proportion of why there were differences in cognitive abilities in kids with ASD. But remember, it's not where you land, it's how you get there in early infancy. It's the change over time from six months old to seven year old. Who cares about theta waves? Well, if this data holds up in other studies, this may be a target of interventions or how well of an intervention is focusing on cognitive abilities to improve cognitive function. That may be a little while off, but it's important now that these things have roots in brain activity and connectivity as early as six months of age. Now, this is clearly not a comprehensive look at the role of cognitive ability and outcomes, what can be done and what is known, because cognitive ability has been shown over and over again to be predictor of longer term outcomes, no matter how you slice it. But once again, new studies are showing that we see differences as well as similarities across people with ASD with and without cognitive disability. Thanks for listening, and I'll talk to you next week.